On today's edition of the Press Review, we're talking Marcus Rashford, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Kieran Tierney and more. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, good morning, happy Monday. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on today's edition of the Press Review, we're going to be touching on the stories involving Marcus Rashford and a potential move to Arsenal. Really, we're going to be uh, breaking that one down. We're going to be talking about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who appears to have no future in Rome. We're also going to be talking about Real Madrid's rumoured interest in Kieran Tierney, as well as picking up some more stories uh, with regards to some of our Premier League peers. Lots and lots to get into. As always, hope you're all good. Hope you all had a great weekend. The sunshine is gone here in London. It's back to cloudy. It's back to miserable. It's back to British weather, basically. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to say a few hellos to some of you joining us in the live chat at the moment. Uh, big hello to Peeny Ween, to James, uh, who says, easy, Harry. I uh, hope you had a great weekend. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, Henry Guna says, good morning, H. I personally think Rashford has been badly coached and pushed back because of the arrival of Ronaldo. He could really benefit under the guidance of Arteta. But you've done me with Darwin, so I'm assuming that you're big now on the whole Darwin Nunez thing. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Sia says, uh, Harry, adjust your clock. You're late. I've told you guys a million and one times. If I schedule it for 10.25, it means I'll be live at 10.30. Who goes? Who starts a show? at 25 past. That's why uh, Matt Tomo says, damn, Harry, 5.30 a.m. streams now. I love it. It's early for you. <laughs> no, guys, what it is. So as I've mentioned over the last few days, this is a new show to the channel. The press review will be coming to you uh, Monday to Friday, sometimes on a Saturday as well, depending on what the calendar is looking like. Uh, but we will be bringing this to you uh, at around about 10, 10.30 a.m. UK time. I'm going to aim uh, for 10 a.m. UK time normally, but there will be occasions where I've got something in the diary and I can't uh, fit it in at 10. So then I'll have to do it at 10.30. Some of them will be pre-records. Um, some of them will be a bit shorter, just depending on what the news uh, is saying on that day and, and how much time I've got. But I promise you, each and every day we'll be bringing you these press review shows. Where we'll be digging through the press and picking out the big stories. Before we go on to the Arsenal ones, which are obviously the main event, I want to look at some of the others as well, doing the rounds, just um, so that we do cover everything. I did say that we're going to do that on this show. So I just want to bring you up to speed with a few of the reports doing the rounds in Europe. Let's start off with Barcelona, who seem to be at the top of this list every single day. They're being linked with everybody at the moment. But according to Sport in Spain, they've reached an agreement with Brazil forward Rafinha over a move from Leeds United this summer. But they haven't reached an agreement with Leeds United. So it's all well and good having an agreement with the player in place. But clearly, they've still got some work to do in terms of convincing Leeds uh, to part ways with Rafinha, who, remember, from what we're told, has a around about a £60 million release clause. And you know that Barcelona would struggle to pay that, given Joanne Laporta's comments in recent weeks about uh, the whole idea of signing early in Haaland. He said he'd love to do it, but he won't be putting the club's future at risk to bring him in. Um, Barcelona also set to release seven players this summer as they look to reinforce with Chelsea's Cesar Azpilicueta 
and Andreas Christensen, who have both been linked with moves to the Camp Nou. That's according to AS. Uh, Mundo Deportivo in Spain report that Tottenham Hotspur are leading the race to sign Netherlands forward Memphis Depay from Barcelona. Uh, West Ham midfielder Declan Rice is in the frame to be the future England captain, according to Gareth Southgate. That's a piece in the mirror today. Uh, elsewhere, Chelsea have been boosted in their pursuit of Aurelien Chouameni after the agent of the 22-year-old Monaco and France midfielder deny they have agreement have an agreement sorry, in place with Real Madrid. That's according to La Parisienne. Uh, what else have we got? Lots and lots of Barcelona stuff, as there seems to be every day. Uh, Barcelona and Spain midfielder Pedri says he wants Lionel Messi to rejoin Barcelona after the 34-year-old has struggled at Paris Saint-Germain. That's via goal. Uh, Derby County boss Wayne Rooney says he rejected a move to Manchester United when he was 14 because he wanted to play for Everton. Well, he obviously didn't want to play for them for that long because he made that move in the end. Um, that's according to The Sun. Barcelona's Brazilian playmaker Felipe Coutinho is willing to take a pay cut to make his low move to Aston Villa permanent. Again, Mundo Deportivo. Uh, according to TalkSport Perspective, Chelsea owners have been given a deadline of the 11th of April to submit final bids for the club. Uh, and just like we were talking about the other day, we were talking about the striker situation at Napoli. We were talking about the striker situation at Arsenal and the fact that there are a number of options, but there are some that we'd have to pay an absolute premium for. And if you remember, I told you guys that whilst I like Victor Ossiman, in order to get Victor Ossiman to Emirates Stadium, we'd have to pay over the top. We'd have to pay over the odds. And that Aurelio De Laurentiis, the Napoli owner, was not going to budge on that. Well, according to a report today in Corriere della Sport, Napoli have set a price tag of £83 million for the 23-year-old striker. So that sounds about right, doesn't it? Uh, in line with what I was telling you guys the other day. So those are the non-Arsenal related stories. We've whizzed through those very, very quickly. Lots of Barcelona involvement, as you'd expect. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's get into the Arsenal stuff now, the stuff that you're all here to hear about. And let's begin with the reports linking Arsenal with a move from Manchester United's Marcus Rashford. Now, Marcus Rashford has been out of form of late and he's struggled. There's no question about that. He's even been involved in an altercation with a supporter outside the ground after he was receiving criticism from the crowd. Let me just start off by saying, as I said on the show that we did, I think immediately after that incident, that I don't really understand the way of the world nowadays. I don't really understand why football fans feel it's okay to stand um, in the road, in the street, whatever it may be, and hurl abuse at somebody but then get super precious when it comes back or when there is some sort of reaction. You know, it's like, I'm going to call you every name under the sun, but when you, you know, give it back to me, I'm going to go, what is that about? He's out of line. He's crossed the line. No, don't act like a prat in the first place. And then you won't have uh, to deal with a, a retaliation and, and don't give it out. If you can't take it, don't give it out and expect there not to be retaliations at the end of the day. They might be footballers, they might be elite sports stars, they might be earning astronomical money, but they're still human beings. Um, it's very easy to snap in the face of abuse. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not like Marcus Rashford went over to the crowd and walloped him one, uh, which would be a completely different thing. He re reacted verbally, as a lot of people would, as I probably would have. Um, you know, professional footballers at the elite level, 
they know when they're not playing well. They don't need, you know, Dave down the pub to tell them that they're not playing well. They know that they're not playing well. And it always astounds me how frequent it is to see somebody give it and really give it and really cross a line and really kind of take it to another level and then act like the victim when they get even a signal back. It's it's mad. So I don't, that doesn't play any part in my thinking about Marcus Rashford. You know, that's not an issue for me when talking about whether Marcus Rashford would be a good fit for Arsenal. But I'm not sure that Marcus Rashford is somebody that I'd like to see Arsenal pursue in the summer. And that's for a number of reasons. First of all, let's, let's tackle the elephant in the room because one of the things that I've repeatedly see on social media about Marcus Rashford is, well, you know, we don't need somebody to help us come and get school dinners. We don't need somebody who's more interested in politics uh, than he is in football. We don't need somebody whose mind is elsewhere. And I genuinely don't think that Marcus Rashford, uh, you know, wants to be a politician or that Marcus Rashford's thoughts and mind is elsewhere. It's such an easy criticism and such an easy narrative to peddle when talking about Marcus Rashford's form. Look, Marcus Rashford, during a time of of great difficulty, and we're still going through that in a lot of ways as a country, stepped up and, and used his platform and used his voice to do a good thing. He used his platform to, to apply pressure on a government who weren't doing their job properly, and he managed to invoke change and fair play to him you know we talk so often about footballers and their need and their kind of requirement to be very very good role models we're very quick to dig out a footballer when he's caught after having a couple of drinks when he's on social media uh caught doing something that he probably shouldn't i mean the reaction to some of the videos of ivan tony for example when he spoke about brentford or when he then did another one and said that where he played was nowhere exciting like the reaction to that was mad. People were really digging in on Ivan Tony. Was it that big a deal? I didn't really like it, but it wasn't a huge deal to me. Yet, you know, we're, so what I'm trying to say is that we're really quick to jump on the negatives. When there's a positive, we'll praise them for a bit and then we'll use it to try and justify or try and explain perhaps a dip in form. And I don't think it's that deep. I, I just think that Marcus Rashford... He's having a bit of a difficult time on the playing side. It's got nothing to do with the fact that he did a good thing, that he campaigned for a good cause. That is completely irrelevant. So I think when people say Rashford shouldn't come to Arsenal or we shouldn't sign Marcus Rashford because he's a politician and all he cares about is this, this and this. I just think that's such a lazy narrative. And and look, I want to hear actual analysis as to why people don't think he'd be a good fit for Arsenal. And for the record, I don't. You know, I'm not someone who wants to see Arsenal break the bank and go and get Marcus Rashford. But my reasons are footballing reasons, and I'll explain those to you now. It's nothing to do with what he does off the pitch. It's just like when Hector Bellerin was at the club and people were getting onto him because he did a fashion shoot. Who cares? That's what he enjoys. That's what he does outside of football. That's what he cares about. You know, just like Marcus Rashford cares about that cause, that particular cause that he worked really, really hard uh, to make a difference in. It's no issue for me. I have no problem with Marcus Rashford based on what he's done outside of the pitch. And when I keep hearing that, it drives me absolutely crazy because that is not a genuine or valid reason. If Marcus Rashford were an Arsenal player, I'd be proud of what he did. 
and I'd be singing it from the rooftops. And that's the honest truth, because I think what he did was brilliant. It's got nothing to do uh, with what I'm uh, with the reasons, I guess, that I don't want to see him come to Arsenal. Now, let me tell, tell you and talk to you about the reasons that I believe from a football point of view, Marcus Rashford wouldn't be a good fit. When I think of Marcus Rashford, I think of pace. I think of power. I think of a decent finisher. I think of somebody who can operate from a wide area, um, but also through the middle. And when I think about the style of player that Marcus Rashford is, the comparison that comes to my mind is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, you can think over the years, and, and you'd be right to think over the years, that Aubameyang has been a much more clinical finisher and lethal finisher. But Aubameyang is, is obviously at a different stage in his career. I, I just think for me that when you look at what Marcus Rashford would bring to the table, potentially, I think it's threat in behind. I think it's pace. I think it's power. I think it's uh, the ability to react instinctively in and around the penalty area. I just think we've been there, done that with that type of striker. So I don't think the type of player Marcus Rashford is fits into what we want and what we're looking for at Arsenal at the moment. You look at how much better we play as a collective and as a team with Alexander Lacazette, as opposed to when Aubameyang was playing. And that's not because Lacazette's a better striker than Aubameyang. He's not. It's because he fits better into the overall vision and what this team is trying to achieve. He fits better into the system. He fits better into the shape. And all of the concerns I had about Aubameyang, i.e. can't really hold the ball up, isn't all that much use against the low block. Um, you know, isn't perhaps, and, and this sounds again horrible, but isn't perhaps sophisticated enough in terms of his link-up play to get the best out of the Sackers and the Smith Rose and the Martinellis and the Odegaards. When I think about all of those things that I thought were an issue with Aubameyang, I see them in Marcus Rashford. And so for me, it's not the right move. You're not going to get Marcus Rashford on the cheap and you're not going to get Marcus Rashford um, without really having to kind of convince and really go over the top on what you're talking about money-wise because he is a Manchester United lad through and through. He's come up there. He's developed there. It's his club. Yes, he's going through a difficult time at the moment. But if I were Marcus Rashford, I'd stick this out a little bit longer. There's a good chance that the next manager who comes in looks at Marcus Rashford and thinks, I've got a player here. I can get you back to the level that we all know that you can be at. So if I were Marcus Rashford and I did love Manchester United the way that I believe Marcus Rashford um loves Manchester United, then I would be holding fire because the future at Manchester United right now is very unclear. Who's going to be in charge next season? We don't know. Is Cristiano Ronaldo going to be there? In which case, that makes a difference to Marcus Rashford as well. There's lots and lots for Rashford to, to kind of be considering and thinking about. But if I were him and I were a Manchester United man through and through, I would not just walk away from the club based on a little bit of a dip in form. Equally, though, from an Arsenal perspective, he's not the guy for me that ticks the boxes. He's not the hold-up player that we need. We're looking for someone who's got the ability to run in behind. That's why I keep kind of gravitating towards Darwin Nunez, because he has that ability to run behind and run channels when you want to play on the counter-attack, but also has the ability to provide you with an aerial presence and a physical presence in order to drop that bit deeper, hold the ball up, or in the event that you're forced wide, be a nuisance inside the penalty area. So for those reasons, I just don't think that Marcus Rashford is the guy. I just don't think he ticks all the boxes 
And then you've got to factor in how incredibly difficult I'd imagine Manchester United would make it for us to get hold of Marcus Rashford. So based on those reasons, and they are footballing reasons, I don't think that he's the right man for Arsenal. Let's take some of you guys' thoughts and comments uh, on Marcus Rashford. Let's see what you guys think about this particular uh, situation and this particular story. Matt G says Rashford is a quality player. It's ridiculous to say otherwise, but I think he needs a move away from the Prem to reignite his career. And it's something we've seen a lot more often, isn't it, Matt, in recent times, Premier League players getting up and going, I need to I need to rebuild and I'm going to go abroad. There was always a reluctance, I felt, from English players to go abroad, um, more so than you probably get from, I don't know, Spanish players. So lately in recent seasons, that's changed a little bit, hasn't it? We've seen a few players go off to Italy. Uh, we've seen some players go off to Germany as well. So I think that's changing. And perhaps you're right. Perhaps Rashford needs a fresh start. I just don't think that Arsenal would be wise to break the bank, spend a huge proportion of their summer transfer budget on Marcus Rashford, when in my view, he doesn't tick all the boxes uh, with regards to the player that we're looking for. Uh, Jordan says Rashford's decision-making is such a massive problem. And I don't know if it can be fixed at Arsenal. As Ruse says that Rashford is a step back for the current Arsenal project for sure. Uh, Fala says if Mikel sees Rashford as an Arsenal player, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But in my own opinion, I would not sign him up. Uh, Dirty Sanchez says Roma would be perfect uh, for Rashford. BX Gunner says we need a killer up front. He's not it. Brad says Rashford is better from the left doesn't improve our first 11, in my opinion, but I do like the player. Uh, what else have we got? Clem Diggity says, uh, I definitely take Rashford as a squad option. He can play across the front three and would be a nice option off the bench. He would play better for us as well. I'm almost certain Peeny Ween says him at Arsenal would be interesting. Afsar says he's a much better player than Lacazette. Rashford has pace, power and can score goals. So a lot of you are quite um, quite positive about the idea of Marcus Rashford. Matt Tomo says, love Rashford as a person, but I just don't see how he fits into our side. Consider the money too. And I don't think it's the right move. I agree with you on that. I, I don't think it's the right move. I don't think that the whole picture is the picture that we want to be painting. I don't think that the finances will be right. I don't think what he brings to the team would necessarily be complimentary of those around him. And people saying I'd take him as a squad option. Well, why would he come to Arsenal as a squad option? I'm sure he'd rather be a squad option at Manchester United, the club of his heart, the club that he loves. And so I think that the this notion of being able to capture Marcus Rashford, bring him to London and stick him on the bench, I think it's far-fetched. I don't think we're able to do that. I don't think it's achievable. So that's my take on the whole Marcus Rashford thing. But I do want to kind of stress that when it comes to the Marcus Rashford story, there's not an awful lot of credibility to where this is coming from at this moment in time. It feels like it's been a slow weekend. International football always does that to us, particularly when there isn't anything, um, you know, overly interesting in terms of uh, competitiveness and things like that. So I think this is a story that has probably gathered a lot more pace and probably had a lot more scrutiny and attention than it actually warrants just because of the fact that we're in an international break. Had this come out next week, for example... I don't think there'd have been as much talk around it, but there we go. Um, so my view, Marcus Rashford, not the man for Arsenal. 
Okay, let's talk about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. The Arsenal man was uh, sent out earlier in the season on loan to Roma, and it was a move that Arsenal received a lot of criticism for. Moving Ainsley Maitland-Niles on at a time we were very, very short in the midfield in particular was a question that led to many raised eyebrows. But Apparently, according to Mikel Arteta, there was an agreement in place that if the player by December didn't get the game time that he needed, felt he warranted, that Arsenal were going to let him go. And Mikel Arteta was true to that agreement. He was true to that gentleman's agreement and he allowed Maitland-Niles to leave, even at a difficult time for Arsenal, because it had the potential, had he delayed it, to scupper the move that the player really wanted. Well, let's be honest, Ainsley Maitland-Niles has gone to Roma and it's not really worked out. And there's a story doing the rounds today that a number of Premier League clubs are now on high alert with Ainsley Maitland-Niles because, of course, he uh, he is not, um, well, he's not likely to stay at Roma. The reports coming out suggest that Roma have decided that they don't want to sign him. And if you look at his performances in Serie A this season, uh, particularly his last couple, his player rating has not been very strong. In fact, his average uh, player rating, according to SofaScore.com, during his entire time uh, in the Serie A this season, it sits at six uh, and a half out of ten, which is not very inspiring. Um, he's played six times in the Serie A for Roma this season. He started on five occasions, averages 65 minutes per game. He's just not had any impact. And what is also, I think, really, really interesting about this is that Ainsley Maitland-Niles made this big song and dance about wanting to be a midfielder. He could have quite easily, I think, filled in at Arsenal um, in the fullback position if that's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to move away because he wanted to play in midfield. And he's gone to Rome and he's not played in midfield. He's gone to Rome. And if you look at his heat map, it suggests, and we'll just double check this on another site as well, um, you know, if you look at his maps, if you look at the stats, if you look at, you know, sort of the readings from Maitland-Niles' performances in a Roma shirt, he's been playing as a fullback, as a wingback. And that just kind of, to me, completely contradicts the idea of him wanting to go. I mean, he's made a couple of appearances um, in the midfield, but he's played on the left, he's played on the right, he's played as a fullback. It, He's been all over the place. He's been exactly what we've been saying for years and years and years about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. He's been a utility man. That's what Ainsley Maitland-Niles is. That's Ainsley Maitland-Niles' greatest chance of forging a good career at a top club. He has to accept that he is a utility man, that he is somebody whose value is in the fact that he can play in a variety of positions, more so than what he brings to the table as a central midfielder. And as I've said before, the quicker Ainsley Maitland-Niles realises that, the quicker he can find the club, settle in, become a, a constant fixture and take his career to the next level. Look, he's going to return uh, back to Arsenal in the summer, but I highly doubt that he has a future at Arsenal Football Club. I'm, I'm almost certain that Arsenal will be looking to move him on. If a Premier League club comes in for Ainsley Maitland-Niles with a positive in that is that you can probably command a slightly bigger fee. Uh, his market value, according to Transfermarkt, is around about £10 million at this moment in time. He is 24 years old. His Arsenal contract um, expires this summer. 
sorry, I beg your pardon. The next summer, 2023, it's the Roma contract that runs out this June, 2023. So he comes back in the summer. He will be in the final year of his contract or going into the final year of his contract, in which case Arsenal probably need to look at moving him on. If we got eight, nine million pounds from Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think that would be a decent return. He clearly hasn't got a future at Arsenal. It hasn't worked out for him at Roma, despite him really pushing for that move. I think he was sold a bit of a pipe dream. He was told that he was going to play in the midfield, etc., etc. He hasn't always played in the midfield. He's made a couple of appearances there, but predominantly he's been utilised as a utility man, which is something that I think he wanted to avoid. So it hasn't worked out for him. But as I say, he needs to just settle on that and he needs to just accept that and get on with it because otherwise he's just going to keep moving from club to club. And before you know it, you're a journeyman and your career is coming towards its end and you've not really achieved anything like you wanted to when you set out. So if I were make Lenars, um, I, I think the penny might have dropped by now. But obviously um, this summer is a big one for him. Where will he go? Is there anybody that will guarantee him a starting place in a midfield? Not so sure. Um, so, yeah, lots to think about and lots to mull over for Ainsley Maitland-Niles. But I've kind of made my peace with the fact that he won't play for Arsenal again. Let's get what we can in the door for him. As I say, he'll be going into the final year of his contract. Cash in eight, nine, tops 10 million pounds. Great. Put it towards what we actually need to do in this season's uh, or this summer's transfer market. And I think I'd probably be OK with that. What's your take on Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Let me take uh, some of your thoughts, some of your uh, comments. Anubav says that eight million should be enough uh, for Ainsley. Uh, I think you're probably about right there. Um, Clem Diggity makes the point that if we want to be elite level, we need real strength and depth. I agree that we need strength and depth, and I've been banging on about that for a few weeks. But I think you only truly build strength in depth if you build your first team and the peripheries of that first. Then you add and you build it out. You don't do it the other way around. You don't add players that you feel would be decent sub players and decent squad players and then try and sign the big ones because then what you end up with is an overbloated squad. You end up signing players on the type of wages that means it's then difficult to offload them and you end up basically in the position that Arsenal have been in over the last few years. Lots of names, lots of bodies, um, all on very good salaries because all of them were told that they would come in and have a pivotal role. It was realised very quickly that a lot of them weren't up to the level, weren't up to the standard, and then we couldn't move them on. So I think that the right way to build strength in depth is to build the core and then to build out, as opposed to being obsessed with strength in depth before you finish building your core. Um I guess is the way I look at it. Paul James says, given that Wolves wanted Ainsley Maitland-Niles for 25 million and we would not sell him, did we make an error not selling him sooner? And will he have retained his value from last summer? So I'm just double checking that because I think that the bid, um, the bid was less than that. So the opening bid that Wolves made was 15 million pounds. And I think the, the bid that kind of got Arsenal kind of considering and thinking about it was in between 15 and 20 million pounds. So I think it was slightly less than, than what you've quoted there, Paul, but the, the point is obviously valid. You know, can we recuperate that type of money again? Well, no, I don't think we can. I think that when you loan a player out and it doesn't really work out, their value is damaged as a consequence of that. Add to that, that he's now 
you know, going into this some other final year of his Arsenal contract, the value decreases even further. As I say, if we got anything between eight and ten million pounds for Maitland Niles this summer, I'd be delighted with that. I really would. But you can't always be obsessed with look how do I word this without getting criticism? So on the one hand, we sit there and we say that Arsenal have been really bad at selling and that Arsenal have been so bad at that that it's caused us a big problem going into the transfer market trying to bring in players. But by that same token, you can't be obsessed with moving players on because you feel that they're at their peak of their value if you're not sure that you can cover that particular departure. So at the time that Arsenal rejected this offer from Wolves, clearly Mikel Arteta felt that he had a role to play in the team. He was wrong. We all know that now. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. He was wrong and he probably should have taken that money at that point, given how little he played, how little he featured. But at that time, I think there's a balance to be found as a manager between letting players go because you feel like financially this is the right time, but also cutting your nose off to spite your face in a footballing sense. So I think that um, that Arteta was probably correct um, to hold on to him. I don't think he was correct to to maybe let him go on loan to Roma, um, you know, at the point that he did. And I think that had he been a squad player at Arsenal this season, featuring in and out of the side, maybe covering it right back in Tommy Asu's absence as well, then I think we'd have been in a position to demand more for him. But it didn't work out like that. There was obviously an agreement between Maitland-Niles and Arteta that the manager felt he needed to honour. And and we are where we are. Like, it's, there's no point in crying over spilt milk, I guess. Um, Anubav also says that I see Ainsley more like a Milner, a guy who can play in various positions decently. Yeah, that's exactly the point I'm I'm making. Uh, Tim Drake Brockman says, breaking news, like the video. Yes, please do. Uh, there's lots and lots of you watching us live at the moment. Give us a vote in our poll as well, which is in the chat box. But please do hit that like button on the video. It really, really does help. Um, it really helps get the video out to as many people as possible. We've hit 19,500 subscribers here on YouTube as well. And we're continuing to push towards that 20,000 mark. So if you haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, I'd love you to do that. Uh, subscribe, hit the like button. You know the drill by now. Let's try and get at least up to 100 likes by the time the stream ends. Uh, Matt on the Maitland-Niles situation says the whole Ainsley situation is incredibly frustrating. He showed real talent as a Swiss army knife for this club. Perfect way. That's such a brilliant analogy, Swiss army knife. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a Swiss army knife. Love that. He says uh, time to go, though. Yeah, it absolutely is, man. It absolutely is. Uh, BX Gunner 81 says Ainsley will have to go to a bottom side and show his quality to get his career back. You do feel like, given the way the last couple of seasons has gone, he's going to have to drop down a bit uh, in terms of his level. Um, what else have we got? Uh, lots of you kind of reacting to the uh, Rashford thing if you're joining us a little bit late. Uh, Henry Gunnar says Ainsley Metanal should have listened to Arteta and played in the position that he thought best. He had his best time in at left and right back, especially against City and Chelsea in those FA Cup semi-finals and final, not in the midfield. Completely agree with you. I've never, and I've said this on the podcast before, and I've got a lot of criticism for this, but I've never really seen the hype uh, about um, about Maitland-Niles in midfield. Like, he's okay and he does a job uh, when you play against lower-level opponents, when you play against sides maybe in the bottom half of the Premier League table. There was a game... Was it at home to Watford earlier in the season? Was it Watford? Just trying to think. Might have been. 
where I thought, well, you know, he looked okay. He looks all right here. Was it Watford? I'm just trying to think who it was against. Yeah, it was when Claudio Ranieri got the hump about um, about the goal we scored. Yeah, it was. You looked at him and you went, you know what? He looks okay. But you had to remember and you had to bear in mind and process the fact that he was playing against a relegation candidate and that level was probably his level. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my take on the whole Maitland-Niles thing. Um, not really good enough, in my opinion, to have a future in midfield for Arsenal. Clearly doesn't want to play as a utility man in different positions. And so it's probably time this summer that we move him on, whatever the uh, the offer on the table looks like. OK, let's turn our attention to our third and final Arsenal-related transfer story doing the rounds today. And that is that Real Madrid, Los Blancos, have an interest in Arsenal fullback Kieran Tierney. Now, this has been uh, doing the rounds over the weekend, and some of the pundits have even taken this one seriously. I heard, I think it was Pat Nevin uh, on BBC was talking about how uh, Kieran Tierney is good enough to play for Real Madrid and that he wouldn't be phased by representing such a huge club. Um, look, Kieran Tierney is a brilliant left back. I think at times this season, he's not been at his brilliant best. He's not been at the level that we all know that he can be at, but he's not been bad by any stretch of the imagination. I've talked in recent shows about the tactical tweak that has probably seen him have to be a little bit more reserved in certain fixtures. And I appreciate that. And I understand that. Um, but this is a guy for me who, providing he can stay fit, because that's always been the big question about Kieran Tini. There's never been a doubt about his quality. There's never been a doubt about the fact that he's capable of playing at the level that we need him to. There's never been a question about that. Um, you know, but it is, uh, there is a fitness issue. There is a fitness concern and touch wood. It's, uh, he's been better in that sense of late, but yeah. And I, and I think the fact that we've only been playing once a week, a lot of the time this season has really, um, has really helped him in that sense. But, you know, as I say, in terms of his quality, in terms of what he brings to the table from a footballing perspective, I don't think there's ever been any doubt. The other really interesting thing is that he appears to be the vice captain at Arsenal at the moment. When Lacazette does uh, leave the pitch, it's always, uh, or the armband, I beg your pardon, is always handed to Kieran Tini now uh, via Granit Xhaka. Um, <laughs> which uh, also caused some speculation, didn't it? When people were suggesting that the Swiss had rejected uh, the captaincy. No, he was uh, following the manager's instructions and making sure that it went to the right player, uh, who was, of course, um, Kieran Tierney. So look, I don't know who's going to be Arsenal's captain next season, especially if Alexander Lacazette is to depart the club. But you feel like Kieran Tierney is a front runner because he is the guy that's wearing the armband at the moment. He displays all the right values. He displays all the right qualities. Um, you know, he tries hard. He works hard. His attitude is spot on. He also brings quality to the team as well. So I just don't think that Arsenal would be willing to allow Kieran Tini to leave. And I don't think Kieran Tini's at a point in his career where he'll be looking and going, I need to get out of here. Like, he's, his Arsenal career, because it's been so disrupted by injuries, is very much still at the early stages, the way I see it. And I think that he'll be excited by the project. I think he'll enjoy the fact that Mikel Arteta is placing a lot of trust in him. And I think he'll like the fact that he's playing in the best league in Europe at the moment. And all of those things into consideration, the fact that Arsenal are a massive club who are seemingly on the up, I think that there's 
no chance really um, of Real Madrid getting Kieran Tierney this summer. So I think this one is a bit of nonsense. Real Madrid are looking for a left back as we're led to believe Kieran Tierney's a good left back. And it feels like a throwback to the old days where Real Madrid were linked to every decent player in the world just because of their spending power and the lure that they have uh, as a football club. But I do not for a second expect Kieran Tierney to be leaving the club this summer. So I wouldn't stress or worry about this one at all. Not at the moment. Um, you know, the question has been asked, you know, has Kiarantini got enough flair to play for a club like Real Madrid? Has he got enough star quality? Is he marketable? Because that's something that Real Madrid look at. Can this player sell shirts? Can this player do this? Can this player do that? Um, you know, sometimes it's not just about footballing reasons with Real Madrid. They've shown in the past that at times it's been about commercial uh, interests as well. I'm not really sure that Kiarantini is the guy you want to go for if you're looking for like commercial uh, gain and you're looking for that marketability. This is a guy who rocks up at games with a Tesco carrier bag, a uh, very Sunday league. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just he's not one for the limelight. He's not one that wants to be on posters. He's not one that wants to be posing in Calvin Klein underwear and all that jazz. So, yeah, for that reason, I'm not sure that um, that that Kieran Tierney would would have his head turned at this point. Maybe later on in his career, maybe if he feels like. We're not winning. Um, um, you know, the club has failed to to live up to the or match the trajectory of his career. And and that could be the case with a lot of the players at the football club at the moment. We've got a really young and exciting crop and group. And it's imperative that we as a football club continue to involve, uh, evolve, sorry, and continue to develop at the same rate as those players. So I'm not really paying too much attention to that one at this moment in time. But it is interesting to see Arsenal players being linked with Real Madrid again. OK, uh, we're going to take a short pause, literally just a couple of seconds, and then we're going to bring you up to speed with the latest prize available over at our partners, Football Prizes, as well as taking some of your questions from the chat box. So get them in now. OK, as many of you will know, we have teamed up with Football Prizes uh, and we've been bringing you all sorts of Arsenal related prizes over the last few weeks. There have been some absolute crackers. We had the Burkamp signed shirt. We had the Tierney uh, signed boot. Uh, we've had some excellent stuff that Ben White, no, sorry, it was a Ben White boot. The Tierney one was a shirt. And now we've got a brilliant one with Invincible Freddie Lundberg. The link is in the description below. Uh, the tickets cost £3.95 and there are 199 tickets available this time. The competition ends on the 31st of March, which is this Thursday at 7.30pm. But as you know, uh, sometimes these tickets they sell out before that point. So if you are interested in this, if you want your chance of winning it, you've got more chance of winning this than you've got of winning the lottery. That's for sure. And a Freddie Lundberg signed and frame shirt on my wall. I'm I'm all about that. Uh, check it out. Football prizes for your chance to win a Freddie Lundberg signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt plus 13 instant win prizes. So although there are more tickets available this time, which obviously in some way reduces your chance of winning, there are other things that you can win, uh, which include a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed and framed Arsenal shirt. You can win a Robert Pires signed and framed Arsenal montage, a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed Arsenal montage, £25 voucher for the club shop, a £10 uh, voucher for the club shop, 
shop. You can win uh, credit for this website and you can win 20% off vouchers for football prizes. So lots and lots to play for this time around. As I say, 199 tickets available. They cost £3.95. Get over to the website, check them out. And what is interesting here is that as I said, these competitions, they don't always run until the end date. If the tickets sell out, they sell out. And although there are three days, eight hours, 19 minutes left at the time of recording, 137 of the 199 tickets have already been sold. So if you are interested, act now. The link is in the description. And we thank Football Prizes for their support of the podcast as always. OK, let's get some of your questions. Let's see what you guys have to say. Uh Let's see, Matt Tomo. And I think Peeny Ween brought this up in the comments a little bit earlier on. Harry, did you see Will Smith slap Chris Rock at the Oscars or has that news not made it across the pond yet? I woke up to that news. I literally woke up, checked the time on my phone, thought, shit, better get up. Um, uh, but obviously you always uh, lay around for about 10, 15 minutes, don't you? Uh, I always try and take in that bit of peace before one of the kids runs in and wakes me up. Um, but yeah, I was scrolling through my phone and obviously I saw... Uh, the video and I've watched it a few times. I've watched the full version because one of the clips that I saw initially, it didn't really highlight what had happened in the build up to it. Look, I mean, Chris Rock, if and, and, and I don't know this is true because I don't really know much about Will Smith and his family. But from what I've seen on Twitter, um, am I right in saying that Will Smith's uh, wife has a has some sort of medical condition, which is why um, that's her hairstyle or or, or or, or she's chosen to have short hair, or she doesn't have a choice to have short hair. I don't know the ins and outs of it. Uh, but Will Smith obviously didn't take kindly to that joke. I don't know if Chris Rock knew the situation. I don't know if he made that joke if he did. If he did, then he probably deserved uh, some kind of retaliation. Um, and, and at first I thought it was a bit of a joke, and I thought it was scripted. And then when you see Will Smith shouting from his seat when he gets back, you can tell that he's not messing around. Look, I... I don't, as I say, I don't really know too much about this. I don't really know an awful lot about the situation, but to get up at the Oscars and go and thump someone in the face, all right, it's probably more of a slap. Uh, I don't know that that's the right thing to do on Will Smith's behalf. Um, I think you should defend your wife. I think you should um, defend your loved ones. I think there are other ways of doing it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, look, if it was The Rock instead of Chris Rock, would Will Smith be getting up there and doing that? I don't think so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting, isn't it? It's another example of, of how we're going to see that somebody of high status is going to get away with something that if I did it, I'd probably be in trouble for. So look, I'm not, I don't know. I, I just don't think the joke was made in bad taste. I, I know at the time it's, it's not easy to kind of keep a lid on your emotions, but I don't know if I'd got up and if I'd have got up, walked onto the stage and done what Will Smith done. I don't know. It, it doesn't sit right with me. So I've seen some people saying, you know, it's great. He's defending his wife. I just, I think you can defend. Um, I think you could have made your point or you could have got up on the stage and maybe had a word. Oh, I don't know. I think you could have done something slightly different. Um, but yeah, the, the, the question is here, did Chris Rock know uh, the situation? Did he know the reason? Maybe, maybe not. And if he didn't, then I think he would have dropped that joke and then gone. When he realised and, and probably was told afterwards, he probably thought, shit, you know, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done here? I think he'll be quite embarrassed about that if he didn't know. If he did know, then he's out of line and he deserves some kind of um, 
some kind of, um, you know, response. But Diddley Scott says ratings grabber for a crap award show. Yeah, that, that's what it feels like as well, um, you know, <laughs> to a degree. OK, <laughs> brilliant stuff. Let's take a few more of your questions then. Um from the chat box and see what you guys are saying. I know this is a football show, but Paul James says, if I was with my missus and someone was joking about a medical condition, I'm not sure I wouldn't do the same thing. No, and I agree. I, I can't say that I wouldn't have done it either. But I just think when Will Smith looks back at it, whatever he says in public, he'll, he'll feel like he probably could have handled it in a better way. And did Chris Rock know? I mean, I heard Ricky Gervais um, on one of the previous awards shows get up and literally annihilate people to a much worse level and and nobody got up and thumped him it is the point i'm trying to make i i, I don't know i don't know anyway uh let's take this one from uh, tom who says harry do you think we'll beat palace i'm always worried after an international break yeah listen there's always particularly when you got a bit of momentum there's always a worry isn't it um that after the international break it disrupts your rhythm a little bit and and I think that, um, you know, there is a bit of a concern about that. I think Palace is going to be a difficult game um, as it is, you know, away under the lights. It's not going to be easy. Selhurst Park, very atmospheric ground. Um, obviously, it's a London derby as well. So I don't expect this to be an easy game. I don't expect it to be a walk in the park or a rollover. Am I worried about the international break? Well, I think that we've seen when Arsenal have had long breaks in between games, although it's given us energy and it's given us time to recover. I think there's been a few occasions, particularly of late when we've had these big gaps, where we've started the game a little bit slowly and we've almost allowed teams to kind of grab a foothold early on. And I, I don't really like that. I like to see Arsenal be dominant from the start. I think it really sets the tone. Um, so I am a little bit, uh, a little bit concerned about this one. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think we've got enough to beat them. I think we're good enough to beat them. Uh, but I think for me, we, um, yeah, it's not ideal that we've had a long period off for sure. Um, you know, but everybody's going to have to contend with that. And unfortunately, if you want to finish in the top four, if you want to succeed, if you want to finish in the Champions League places, you're going to have to be able to overcome these things. And I've got more confidence in this Arsenal side doing that than I have done for a number of years now. So I can't be too pessimistic going into this one. Uh, Peeny Ween says, did you see the 4-4-2 story about Harry Maguire to Arsenal? Also, are 4-4-2 a reliable source? Um, I haven't seen the story. Um, I don't want Harry Maguire anywhere near Arsenal. I think he's an awful centre-half. I think he's so overrated. I think he's someone that, had he stayed at a Leicester or played for an Everton, you'd look at and say, yeah, he's decent. That's his level. But to take him to Manchester United and then make him the captain, it's criminal. I, don't, I, I just don't think he's at that level. Um, and it's a sign of where Manchester United are as a football club, that he is in that position at the moment. Are 442 a reliable source? I've never really gone to 442 as like a source of transfer news and stories and rumours. I've always seen 442 as the best football magazine out there with incredible feature pieces and really interesting stories. So I think that's what 442 are known and loved for. I think on the on the transfer front, on the stories front, they've had to probably uh, jump on that bandwagon a little bit, try and do some of that to kind of keep up with the times because, you know, magazines are not as popular as they used to be. The emergence of the internet has has changed that a lot. You know, I used to, every month, the first thing I would do is is either pop to the local news agents and buy 442. Now I have it delivered to my house because I'm a grown up. Um, <laughs> but 
yeah, I, it's not really what I go to four four two four. I'm not saying that they they don't have any credibility or that the the story is is complete nonsense. As I said to you guys the other day, I very rarely want to come out and say that about another journalist's pieces of work, but I wouldn't be um, buying into this one too much. But as I say, 442, if you want to read in-depth interviews, wonderful feature pieces, sometimes look at things a little bit outside of the box, stories that maybe haven't always been uh, at the forefront of of everybody's coverage, then 442 are your guys. It's brilliant. The magazine is unreal. But when it comes to transfer stories, I'm not, not really sure. Um, okay. I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, we'll be back later on today, 5 PM with another show, uh, looking forward to that one. Don't forget to hit that like button. If you haven't done so already, we're still around about 30 likes away from the target. So if you haven't hit the like button, please, please do. Let's try and get there by the end uh, of the outro. I'd love uh, to get to that point. And remember, if you're new, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. We'll be back later on today. Uh, if you're watching us live, that episode will be available to our audio listeners first thing on Tuesday morning. And of course, we'll be back with another press review very soon too. Until next time, take care of yourselves and stay safe. Up the Arsenal. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simpson.